We're starting a brand new series, and uh, it's called What's in Your Wallet? You ever heard that phrase? It's been going for 15 years with a credit card company, and it comes on on every, every sports program, you know, ESPN. I, I'm always watching sports, and it comes on, what's in your wallet? You know, <clears throat> whether, and, wh- and whether it's, um, who's, the, who's the guy that is the star of it? Thomas L. Uh, Seth. Samuel L. Jackson, not Thomas, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, he comes on and he says, what's in your wallet? Or if it's one of those Vikings that says, what's in your wallet? I mean, it's just, it's this phrase. And we're going to use what's in your wallet. We're going to look at what we find inside of our wallets. I mean, here's the thing. Many of you don't even carry wallets anymore. How many of you have, how many of you carry a wallet still? Raise your hand. Do you carry what? Ooh, old school. <laughs> Resistors. Hardcore. I mean, let's let's be honest. When you look in your, when you look in your wallet, you've got, you know, several things in there. It used to be that we might carry our pictures, right? Does anybody still carry pictures in your wallet? Yeah, you you do. Yeah. See, I. But now everybody carries their pictures on their phone, right? So, so. But but you look inside your wallet and you find some things. One of the things you find is your ID. You know, your your driver's license. Some of you, you know, you have to carry, <laughs> you have to carry your license to drive. And then some of you, uh, you carry your CHL. If you're carrying, you have to have it. So you've got to carry that in your wallet. I won't ask you to raise your hand how many people are carrying this morning. Probably a lot of you. So I understand, it's Texas. We got... Um, you got, you, you, you got uh, maybe some credit cards in your wallet. Maybe you have some cash. Hardly anybody carries cash anymore, but some of you uh, still do. And so we're going to talk about what you find in your wallet as a context for how we deal with money. We're going to talk about it over the next few weeks. And we're um, just going to talk about finances, how we treat finances, how finances influence us. And we're, we're kind of doing it in November so that we can ward off the danger of Christmas that is coming, <laughs> so that in January, when you wake up on January 1st, you're not really depressed and wondering how you're going to pay all that stuff off, all right? So today, we're going to talk about our first thing that we find in our wallet, and it's an, uh, an ID, uh, the, um, the driver's license. And to talk about driver's license, we've got to talk about our, our pictures. <laughs> Do you have a good driver's license picture? I, do you? Some of you are like, yeah, I have a great driver's license. Most people don't have a good driver's license picture. Here's here's my driver's license picture. That's. I don't know why you laugh at that. Is that is it? Am I? I guess I, I'm a little puffy, a little puffy. My hair is a little, little full. Look like kind of like a Q-tip. Um. So and keep going. Um. Keep going. There's a. There's. This is. This is Darren Green. Darren Green's sitting right on the front row right here. This is Darren Green. This is what his, that, this is his driver's license a long time ago, but now here, here's his current license. Looks like a, oh. <laughs> Scary. Scary. Keep going. Um, let's see here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Cool. You see that, that hair just sweeping across? And uh, he has a new hairdo now. Keep going. And then here's, uh, here's Nate Emmert. He looks the same, doesn't he? Well, that's because he's young. For a, several years, you kind of stay young. And as you get old, it 
changes really quickly. He, he looks pretty good. Um, he looks a little sleepy, but, but pretty good. <laughs> Keep going. Let's see who else we got. Oh, yeah. Look at that baby face. I don't know how you get, I don't know how I see a baby face with a two o'clock shadow, but because that beard is crazy. He got a little flavor saver. Today we're going to talk about our identity. We're going to talk about our ID and what it says about us. And, and, and as we look at what's in our wallet, we have to understand that your identity really has an influence on how you deal with money. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the scripture. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it comes alive to us as we read it by your spirit. And so illuminate our hearts and minds in the name of Jesus. Amen. Some of you may be here for the first time today. And um, if you are, and, and I stand up and say we're going to talk about money, it's kind of like, oh, sure, exactly, here we are. Pastor's talking about money again. That's what churches talk about all the time. We don't actually talk about this very much. In fact, we probably should talk about it more. Because, because it has a significant part to play in our lives. And money has the tendency to grip our hearts like nothing else can. And therefore, we must talk about it in a way that, that helps us surrender our hearts to Christ and surrender our possessions and our material uh, wealth to him, as, as well as our hearts. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 19. It's on your message notes, and you can follow along with me. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is trying to help us understand that our hearts need to be valuing heaven beyond earth. That he wants us to value him above all else. We often misquote this verse, and we often say, wherever your heart is, there's your treasure. That's not what this says. It's the other way around. It's your treasure that determines where your heart goes. People don't understand this, but your heart follows your treasure, whatever you treasure. Your heart follows what you prioritize. Whatever you really value, that's where your heart begins to go. That's what Jesus is saying here. And since that's true, we've got to make sure we're valuing the right things. That's why money has such a grip on so many people's souls is because they, 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 it begins to be the, the thing they value most and their heart begins to gravitate towards it instead of to God. If you go down a few verses in verse 24, Jesus continues the dialogue and he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Money. He could have said, you can't serve both God and family, God and, and um, hobbies. He could, have, he could have said many things, but he said, you can't serve God and money. It has a powerful influence on our lives. Of course, you go down a few verses more in verse 33, and it says, seek first. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what, how I want you to, to treat the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then all the, all the rest of it. Everything else will be added to you. He talks about not worrying about all this stuff and about how we should surrender to Christ and let him provide for us. But it's, it's harder than we like to admit sometimes. 
You know, Jesus talked about this a lot, actually. 38 parables, 16 of them talk about money and possessions. Almost half. Almost half talk about money and possessions. If you look at the Bible in total, you look across the scriptures, and you ask, okay, so how much is prayer mentioned in the Bible? 500 times. You look at faith, almost 500 times. You, know, you want to know how much money and possessions are mentioned in the Bible? Over 2,000. Over 2,000. There's something here. And here's what, here's what my, my good friend and pastor, Jimmy Evans, he pastors in, up in Amarillo. He says this. He says, money offers everything God does but without the moral constraint. Money can become an idol so easily because it offers everything God does, but without the moral constraint. Look at, check this out. God says, I'll make you into somebody. That's what money says. I'll make you into somebody. Think about it. God says, I'll make you secure. I want to make, I want you to find your security in me. That's what money says to you. I need money to feel secure. I got to, God says, I'll provide for you. That's what money says. I'll provide everything you could ever want. You see how easy it is to begin to gravitate to an idolatrous relationship with money. In God we trust is on our money in America. (laughs) Can we have money and trust God is the question. Nothing wrong with having money, but the question is, does money have us? And so God wants us to be blessed as his people. He wants to take care of us. He wants us to have everything we need. He's not against us being wealthy, but he wants our hearts. Check out 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have your Bibles and you can look over there, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I want you to to read it with me. And then if you want to hold your place there, I'm also going to go to Mark 10. That's going to be our next passage, Mark 10. And so you, you look here, the Apostle Paul is talking to his young son in the faith, Timothy, and he's coaching him on how to coach the church that he is serving, that he is leading. And he says in verse 10 of chapter 6, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. It always reminds me of the guy who died and, you know, they, they talk about him. He, he was really wealthy and they ask How much did he leave? (laughs) The answer is all of it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He left all of it. He couldn't take any of it with him. No matter what, you leave everything here. Verse 8 says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Another misquoted scripture. It's not money that's the root of evil. It's just the love of it. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If you drop down to verse 17, he's going to coach him now. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. So now he's told his son in the faith, don't love money and don't put your hope in it because it is so uncertain. 
but to put their hope in God who richly provides us. Check out this little phrase. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. For our enjoyment. God doesn't want you to live a joyless, miserable life. He wants you to live a full life. A life that has abundant life in it. And so he says here, he says in verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Notice he's talking to the, he's talking about rich people. Don't let them just write a check. Make sure they're doing good deeds and they're generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, when I was reading through that, a bunch of you started checking out because you were like, well, I'm not rich. That's not talking to me. A little perspective, please. Everyone in this room, just probably almost every, a huge percentage, like 99% of everybody in this room is in the top 1% of the richest people on the planet. It takes about $30,000 to get there. $30,000 a year. That's what it takes to be in the top 1% on the planet. You're rich. Worse, you live in a society, in a culture that wants you to gravitate to material possessions and wants to market to you so that you feel dissatisfied with whatever you have. This verse is talking to you. It's talking about you. God doesn't necessarily want you to be poor, but he hates materialism. So sometimes he'll let you make all kinds of bad decisions financially, get yourself into real trouble, run up your credit card, go go through all kinds of foolish spending, and then something happens, and then you run out of what you feel like you need, and you're so angry, and he'll let you just, he'll let you kind of dangle there until you turn to him. And realize that he is the only one who can really provide for you. He's the one who wants to provide for you. You want to do it yourself? He'll let you. But God doesn't want to keep us poor, but he wants our hearts more. That's your fill in the blank right there. God doesn't want to to keep us poor. He wants, but he wants our hearts more. In other words, in other words, he doesn't want materialism and possessions and your money to define your identity, to create your identity. God wants to be our only source of hope and enjoyment. If you go over to Mark chapter 10, you'll see a picture of this where a man came to Jesus, and I'm going to read it in verse 17. Mark 10, 17 is the story of the rich young ruler, and it says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, And fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. Verse 18. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And you shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. defraud, Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. All right, pause right here. This is a guy, this is a good guy. This is a guy who has obeyed the scriptures. This is a person, a man who has tried to follow God. 
And he's following him. He's obeying the commands. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him. I love this verse. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Isn't that a great verse? Jesus looked at him and loved him. He was compassionate towards him. He wasn't angry. He didn't beat him over the head. He looked at him and loved him. But then he said these words, one thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Then come and follow me. His identity was in his riches instead of his relationship to Jesus. His identity was in his riches instead of in his relationship to Jesus because look what happens. Verse 22. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Well, this seems really difficult though. Jesus asks this guy to give away everything? That, doesn't, that hardly seems fair. I mean, it's kind of like we look at the guy and we're like, no, oh, we kind of understand. Like if Jesus said, give everything you have away, just give it all away, you got to give it away and then come follow me. The question is, would we obey it? Jesus has a way of zeroing in on the issue <laughs> that drives your life. The concern and the anxiety that drives who you are. Jesus has a way of getting right down to the very core of who you are and then asks for that. That's what he does here. This man wanted to receive eternal life, but there was something in the way of eternal life. Let's finish the passage. Jesus looked around at his, and said to his disciples, how hard is it? How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Notice, just pause right here. Jesus is saying it's harder for rich people to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, I've heard this expounded on by pastors all my life and and people will say it's an analogy to a camel who had to bend down to go through a gate in the wall and it was, that's why Jesus used it in, I don't I'm, I'm not sure that's the I'm not sure that's what this passage is about I think Jesus is actually being literal why else would his disciples go well then who can be saved <laughs> Because they're like saying, Jesus, it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. <laughs> it's impossible, so who can be saved? Check out what he says. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but, with, but not with God. All things, everybody say all things. All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. That means whether you live in poverty or whether you live in wealth, God can cut through all of that, all those things, everything that gets in the way of your life, and he can change your heart. Whether your heart's full of possessions and materialism or your heart's full of anger and bitterness because you're poor, he can cut through and do a miracle in a person's heart. 
That's what the point of this passage is. What I want to suggest to you today is that we need a miracle in our hearts because we identify ourselves through our money, through what we possess, through what we have. Both wealth and poverty can, can form our identity. Both wealth and poverty can form our identity. We, some of us have an entitlement mentality. Some of us have a poverty mentality where we, where we don't think we'll ever get enough. And so we have, to be, we, have to be, um, we have to be protective of all of our stuff. We don't share easily. We don't, we don't allow others to have what they need when, even when we have it in our hands because we're afraid. That's a poverty mentality. We don't have generosity that comes out of us because we, our identity is in what we have. And by the way, it's not just our identity in money. Sometimes it's identity in your career, what you're going to possess someday, what you're going to do, what you're going to accomplish. We put our identity in our positions at work or at church. We put our identity in our past, our failures. Sometimes we put our identity in our, we get our identity from our successes, from our accomplishments. We can't do that. Look what Galatians 2 says. It's in your message notes. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. Check this out. I love this phrase. The Message Bible says, it's Paul, and he's talking to the Galatian believers. He says, what actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, <laughs> and it didn't work. So I quit being a law man so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. Take your pen and underline that right there. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. That means I've, I've died. I've been crucified. The old me is dead. I have a new life that I'm living now. Look, check out how Eugene Peterson says it in the Message Bible. He says, my ego is no longer central. That's kind of a way of saying I'm no longer full of myself. I'm full of Jesus. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. Hey, hey, you know what happens to most of us with our money and possessions? We live to keep up with the Joneses. We're worried, we're, we're, we, just, we measure ourselves by other people and we keep, try to keep up with them. We compare ourselves with others. What Paul is saying is none of that should have a position in your heart in your identity. You don't compare yourselves. You don't classify yourself or qualify yourself or identify yourself in comparison to others. He says, I appear righteous before you and, I have, and, I, and have your good opinion. I'm no longer driven to impress God. I'm, think of that. I'm no longer driven to impress God because Christ lives in me. And the life you see me living is not, what does that say? Wait, say it again. Say it out loud. You learn this word really early as a baby. <laughs> mine, 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 mine. It's mine. Mine? What movie is that? Mine? Finding Nemo. It's all the, all the seagulls. Yeah, all the seagulls. Are mine, mine, mine. Is that right? I think it is right, yeah. <laughs> That's a fun little memory. Where was I? The life you see me living is not whose. It doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. The life you're living is not you. It's lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'm not going back on that. The life we now live is not our own, but Christ living through us. He 
makes your identity. He's the one who defines who you are. We don't let others give us a script. We don't let, our, let others, it doesn't matter what others say about us. I have a phrase that I say to my kids before they go out the door and as they've grown up and they're driving and they go to a school function or they, they go out with their friends, I'll say it right before they leave and I'll say, hey, hey remember, you're a parsley. You're a parsley. You know what that means? That means your identity is in this family and we do certain things and we don't do other things. You are representing me, you're representing us, you're representing God. Parsleys do the right thing. Parsleys take care of other people. Parsleys don't get involved in stuff that hurts themselves or hurts others. And so it's a, it's a way of saying this, remember your identity, remember who you are. Turn over to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. One more story of a man a young man who was trying to figure out who he was. Most of you are probably familiar with the story, but I'm going to read it to you because I think sometimes we just need to take a good slow reading of the scriptures because we forget what it says. Check this out. Verse 11 in chapter 15. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me share, my share. <laughs> give me mine. Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and they're squandered. Everybody say squandered. They, he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Pause right here. It's not just our own use of money that leads us to a bad place. It's our own bad stewardship of what God's given us and then something else almost always happens. My, my office full of people that I'm coaching and counseling, there's always another factor they didn't count on. They didn't think about it. This guy's going, he's just spending like crazy. He's going wild. But he didn't stop to think, you know, there might be a famine. There's always another extra thing because we live in this world that's fallen and broken. Somebody does something to us. Um, you know, remember that this is a spiritual journey we're on as well. And so things happened to us and we didn't see them coming. Verse 15 says, so he went and hired himself out of to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. That's an interesting phrase right there. No one gave him anything. He asked his father for everything, and his father gave it to him. But no one else would give him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, <laughs> he had an awakening. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. Oh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But while he was still a long way off, 
his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Compassion for him and he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. He threw his arms around and just started kissing his son. Who knows how he smelled? He certainly wasn't dressed well. The son said to him, he started his speech, I've sinned against heaven, against you, I'm no, I'm no longer worthy. Blah, 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 blah. But his father inter- interrupts. The, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and Reeboks on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Such a great picture of our father. Finish the story. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And so instead, that's so weird. He calls one of the servants and says, hey, what's going on in there? Why not just wander in? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, was, he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, and yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered the property, your property with prostitutes, he comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. Check out what the father says. Now look, now look, pay attention here because this is the end of the story. Jesus tells this story and he's coming to this point. And he says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Oh, underline it. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again and he was lost and now is found. The prodigal identity, here's how it goes. The prodigal son essentially says, I'm an orphan. He becomes a practical orphan. He says, Dad, I don't need you. I wish you were dead so I could have your inheritance. Just give it to me now. He treats his dad like he's dead. And an orphan, a, 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 the orphan spirit often is what gets consumed with money. Because he thinks he's got to provide for everything. Nobody else is going to do anything for me, and i gotta, I got to control it all. There's an, it's an orphan mentality that people have. And if you, if you think about it, in Matthew 6, where we were reading before, Jesus is telling this, all these stories, and he says right in the middle of it, he says, your father knows. He's talking about money. He's talking about possession. He says, your father knows what you need even before you ask him. If your dad was Bill Gates... Is there a problem with money? Depends on the relationship, wouldn't it? If the relationship is good, no worries. If the relationship is bad, there may be a problem. Number two, he becomes a servant. In his mind, he comes and he's working with the pigs and he's like so frustrated. He thinks to himself, my servants, my dad's servants are treated better than this. I'll just go back and be a slave. I'll just, I'll just be a servant. Money, money's a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. 
somehow money had gotten into his heart and, and gripped him. He'd identify, he began to identify himself poorly. He didn't understand who he was. And so he comes back and he says, I'm going to be a servant. I've, I've screwed this whole thing up. I've squandered everything. I'm going back home. And maybe my father will make me a servant. But finally, he becomes a son. That's number three. He becomes a son. And I want you to notice what the father says to him. His father runs to him, he kisses him, and he says, I want you to put on the robe, I want you to put on the ring, I want you to put on these shoes, I want, let's, we're going to have a feast because what was lost is now found. To the father, he was always a son. To the father, he never became anything else. He was always a son. And this is your, your problem and my problem, is we stop seeing ourselves the way God does. We stopped identifying ourselves as his sons and daughters, and we think we have to take care of everything. We think we have to become this person. We think we have to earn the right to the provision that he wants for us. You know what the tragedy of the older brother is? The tragedy of the older brother is he didn't know who he was or what belonged to him. He didn't understand. He, he's like, you've never given me anything. And you know what his father says? What does his father say to him? Verse 31, he says, son, everything you have is mine. You've all, you're, he said, you're always with me. How sad to live under the same roof, eat at the same table, and not know who your father is and how much he loves you. Jesus is telling the story, and it, obviously it is the Jewish people that he has in mind when he talks about the older brother. Can I encourage you and challenge you to think of yourself differently, to see yourself as a person who God wants to provide for in every way? Because we've got to know who we are to use money well. We got to know who we are to use our money well. And the, 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 the next three, the next three verses are all about your inheritance in God as his child. The next three verses are in your message notes are all about how God wants to give you so much and he wants to give you more than you th think he can. The problem is the way we look at it. And we tend to think, I need, I need money to pay my bills, Pastor Ross. You know, you're talking about spiritual blessings? I don't need spiritual blessings. Oh, Really? All you need is money. See, that's where you'd be wrong. God wants to take care of you and provide for you. He wants you to treat you as, your, as, a, as his son and his daughter. But we don't see ourselves that way. And so we scratch and claw and try to make it happen ourselves. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to bow your head and I want you to consider where you are. How you see yourself, what your identity is. I don't have time to finish the outline. I'll finish it next week maybe. Or I'll send you the outline filled in. But here's the, here's the thing. What we have to grapple with is who we see ourselves as before we can understand what God is giving us and providing for us. The band's going to come and we're going to we're going to take a moment. We're going to receive communion together. But I just want you to just, just pause right where you are. And I want to ask you, 
Is this a moment where God wants to redefine who you are? Is this, a, is this a moment where you've just been working yourself to death and your family really hasn't received the best of you because you're always pushing, striving, pressing? Maybe you've realized that while we're sitting here that you have a poverty mentality and, and you're, you're having to hoard everything and trying to keep everything. You don't have a generous heart and it all stems from who you see yourself to be. that your identity is wrapped up in all these cultural trappings of our society and it's kind of gotten you and, and you don't realize that God's standing there and waiting for you to come home and get, get out of the pig pen that you're living in. Come home. Come to his table where there is provision. Provision.